faint. He won't fail you. He is eternally victorious. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. You know, that's, that's important for us to always keep track of because sometimes we, we feel like the battle may be sliding away from us. The victory may be sliding away. Listen, it's an, only an appearance. God has given you the victory in your Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God is good all the time. Well, I just want to say I appreciate Shelby and Gabe. Thank you very much for doing what you do and helping us all worship God. Amen. Praise God. Well, before you're seated, now everybody can't turn around and look at everybody else or everybody's going to be looking at the back of somebody's head. So turn to somebody, wave to them, and then you can be seated. <clears throat> I hope those of you at home are doing the same thing, if somebody's there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so important that we do what we can do, the best practices that we try and do here as far as uh, what we're told is best for the health of, of each other. Um, some wise people have, have determined it, that there are certain things that are our best practices, and if we find out down the road that they weren't, then you know what? We inconvenienced ourselves for a little while. But if we find out they were actually important, then we did the right thing. And uh, as much as we may be uh, socially distanced, we need to stay Christ-connected. Amen? That means that we need to stay connected to God, but also connected to one another. And, and that happens. We have more opportunities to connect with people through various means than ever before, and we need to use them. Amen? Uh, this morning we're going to have communion. Hopefully all of you have your elements. If you don't, you can... Oh, almost lost mine. Uh, if you don't, let, let us know, and, and one of the ushers can bring you one. Um, but before we go to communion today, communion is a very important time. Jesus... Um, uh, said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And uh, I just want to share something with you that, that meant a lot as I was preparing for this. Um, years ago, uh, I, I was working in the oil fields in California. Devin and I got married, moved out to California, worked in the oil fields, and, and uh, would come home to Rome to uh, visit my parents. One of the things that we always recognized when we came back from California is that it was so green back east. It was, it was beautiful. And California, for the most part, doesn't really have a lot of change of seasons like we do here. And whenever we would fly back to California from, from New York, um, we'd have to fly over the desert, Nevada, places like that. And I would notice these green spots in the middle of the desert and came to find out because uh, the company I worked for, we would have to go into the desert and do some things uh, on, on oil wells and found out that a lot of these green spots were, um, they were farms where somebody had determined they were going to make a living there. And yet they had done something that was necessary because in the desert there isn't moisture. It's a pretty inhospitable, harsh environment. A lot of things don't grow real well. And yet there were these, these it looked like little spots of life in the midst of this harsh land. 
And as, as time went on, I remembered those things, and we would drive by some of these on our way to some of the, the test wells that we would work on and, and found out that the farmers there had done something that had to be done. They had drilled down, drilled wells down to uh, a zone of, of a formation that was actually an aquifer. Now, you may not know what that is. Um, it, it was where water would pass freely from it out. It, they had artesian wells, which was free-flowing, never had to pump them at all, which was really unique, but it was there. And they had to, to dig down deep enough, uh, drill down at their expense, their cost, but they were assured no matter what their environment was like, they would have the water they needed to be able to have life in the middle of the desert. These, these aquifers, these zones, went miles and miles away up to the mountains, and so they were not dependent on what their environment was around them. They were always able to have water because of what was provided from a great distance away. And I, I tell you that today because um, in us receiving communion today, as Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> it's important that we remember him. And uh, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, and verse 20. 23, I believe. Is that it? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 24 through 26. Okay, so this one isn't working. Don't look over there. And help me not look over there. It's working over here. All right, it says, And when he had given thanks, this is talking about Jesus, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this, is the, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, the Lord's death. Man, I, I, it's tough to proclaim and, and celebrate a death. The death of the Lord is something to celebrate because of what it accomplished for us. You know, his death caused us to have life. He took sin on him. He was broken and bruised and, and uh, um, paid the price for our sin that we could have forgiveness and abundant life. You know, that's what Jesus said, that, that I've come that you might have life and have it more abundant. But Right here, we're supposed to proclaim his death until he comes. And Jesus is coming. He's closer than he has ever been to returning in all of history. It could be this week. could be this month. could be this year. could be five years from now. But you know what? We should live every, every day as if he's coming today. And then not have anything to to wonder about, you know, but, but his death, we, we proclaim his death until he comes, and he's coming in victory, coming in glory. And yet, he intended for our lives to be filled with victory and filled with glory, just like those, those little places in the desert that weren't dependent on their surroundings. They had tapped into something deep, deep that cost them to get to, and yet it was always providing what they needed for life. And Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, said these, these words. 
The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Who is the them that it's referring to? Why don't you say me? Right. Because sometimes we say us collectively and we believe that's true for everybody else but not us. And so he came to give you, give me life and life more abundantly, rich and satisfying. You know, another translation says a life and life more abundant or overflowing life. Just like those places in the desert had overflowing water. It would just come out and it would water and bring life to everything in that area. God wants overflowing life for you. Not just when you get to heaven. Didn't Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants heaven to be overflowing in your life and my life here on earth so people that aren't headed towards heaven would get a glimpse of it and make a change. And that's where when today we, we receive the elements, we do this in remembrance of him. If you would peel back the first seal on your, your uh, cup and get what we refer to as the bread, uh, the host, the body of Christ. It's a representation of Christ's body. And the Bible says that, that Jesus was beaten, his body was broken to be able to provide health, life, abundant life for you. And so today as we, as we receive the bread, uh, we have to do what we do in faith. And our faith has to have a focus. And the focus has to be truth, God's word. And, and the Bible says, by his stripes, you were healed. If, you, if you're in need of, of healing in your body, physical healing, because you have symptoms, or maybe you've got some holes in your soul. There's some, there's some damage that's gone on in your soul. You have a hurt heart. The Bible says God is the healer of the broken heart. So today as we receive this, believe as you receive that what God has promised, we sang greater his promises, right? He's never failed. He never will. And so his promises, he watches over to perform. And so today, uh, Father, we thank you for this representation of the body of Christ. Today as we receive it, we receive to our bodies that are not our own, they've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, we receive the work of healing. Physically, emotionally, mentally. Father, we thank you for the healing that has come through Christ Jesus. And Lord, we remember, we remember that you came to give us life and life more abundant. Today we receive that in Jesus' name. Go ahead. Again, it goes on to say that uh, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This new covenant, it's, it's a new commitment, a new way God has for us to live in relationship with him. It's a better covenant. It's a covenant of abundant life. It's a covenant of provision. It's a covenant of peace. It's a covenant of joy and of hope. And today as we receive this, 
recognize it's not for us to try and beg God to give us what we need. God gave everything to show us he was committed to meeting those needs in our life. And so today, Father, we thank you for the blood of the new covenant, the blood of the covenant of abundant life. And we thank you today as we receive this, we receive the freedom, the provision, the power, the peace, the plan, the hope and the joy that you have prepared and provided for each and every one of us. And today, Father, we thank you that we're going to walk in that more fully than ever before. And we thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Go ahead. Again, remember, please take these as you leave and, and dispose of them in the right container. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being a good God. A God who provides everything that pertains to life and godliness, whose good pleasure it is to give us your kingdom, your kingdom of abundant life. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we are continuing on. We're, we're learning about deception, but I have a question for you. We're learning about deception, but also about devotion. Where there's deception, there's loss. Where there's devotion, there's gain. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Um, I believe that's what our reference is. Uh, he said, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ would be corrupted, even as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. So he was really talking about devotion. And his great concern was that they're pure and undivided. If something's pure, what does that mean? If gold is pure... What does it mean about the gold? There's nothing else. That's right, Eileen. There's nothing else but gold there. There's nothing else that's kind of mixed in. And when something's undivided, okay, it's, it's whole. There's, there's a completeness. In this case, it's talking about pure and undivided devotion. Devotion is a strong love, loyalty, and passion for Christ. So nothing, nothing was intermixed with their passion for Christ. They were passionate for Christ. That was what their devotion was to. That's what their love was, was focused on and their loyalty was to, was to Christ. And, and it was undivided. It wasn't, you know, a little bit here, a little bit here. We kind of divide our lives up. We compartmentalize our lives. But God wants us to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We're supposed to love the Lord God with what? All our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. So there's, there's a priority here that God is first. And so in this, we see that um, he was concerned about their devotion being corrupted, being drawn away, that pure and undivided devotion. You know, today there's all sorts of things that are, that are drawing our devotion away from Christ. So my question today is, who are you devoted to? Now, I know we're in church, and so the answer always has to be Jesus, right? It's like the little boy in the classroom. Uh, the Sunday school teacher said, what's gray and furry and has a bushy tail and climbs trees and, and eats nuts? Nobody was going to answer. 
One little boy kind of sheepishly raised his hands. He said, I know because we're in church, the answer has to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel. (laughs) You know, the answer is Jesus. He really is the answer to everything. And that's where when we're devoted, our devotion needs to be to him. But who are we devoted to? I know, I know we want to say we're devoted to Christ. But as we look, really are honest and look across the landscape of our life, is he the one that we have the greatest love for, the greatest loyalty to, and the greatest passion about? You know, it wasn't just this group that there was a concern for that. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Hebrews, and, and in verse 12 and 13, we're going to look at the Amplified and the New Living because it really kind of uh, illuminates what this is about. He says, therefore, beware. And again, he's warning. But we know when there's a therefore, we need to find out what it's there for. And so it refers back to something that precedes. And in verse 8, uh, he talks about the concern he has about the Hebrews hardening their heart towards God, being drawn away from God. And with that in mind, he says, therefore, beware, brethren, take care, lest there be any of you of a wicked heart, unbelieving heart, which refuses to cleave to, trust in, and rely on him. Cleave to, trust in, and rely on Christ. When when it's talking about cleaving, it's about a connection that's a permanent connection. The Bible says that a, a, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. God intended marriage to be a permanent connection. We, we don't take it that way. Our world doesn't take it that way. But the God intended it that way, till death do us part. But it's, it's about a permanent connection that we would permanently connect, trust in, and rely on him. Uh, he was concerned that, that was not going to happen, that they would turn away and desert or stand aloof from the living God. Now, can you imagine anybody turning away from God? Why would anybody want to turn away from God? Right, they're deceived. Absolutely they're deceived. Because if we think we're turning away from God to something better, there is nothing better. Nothing is better than God. His plan is perfect. He gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's his good pleasure to give us his kingdom. And I want you to know his kingdom is the only eternal kingdom. It's the only, without exception, victorious kingdom. All right? So... We would stand aloof, we would desert or turn away from God. But when that happens, it's because we've experienced deception. Where there's deception, there's loss. It goes on to say, you must warn each other. So Paul's warning them, and now he's saying, look, you need to look after each other. You need to warn each other. You need to be aware that unlike the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, when when Cain slew Abel, and God said, where's your brother? And, and what did Cain say? Anybody remember? Am I my brother's keeper? He incriminated himself by that because absolutely we are. We need to look out for each other. We need to have each other's back. We need to stand up for each other and with each other. But, but right here, you need to warn each other every day while it's still today that none of you would be Deceived by what? Help me. Sin and hardened against God. 
Where there's deception, there is loss. Sin promises everything and delivers nothing. Oh, I, I'm sorry. The Bible says sin has pleasure for a season. There's a little bit of pleasure and a whole lot of pain. It's just, it's coming. But it says you'll be deceived by sin, and what the result of being deceived by sin, our devotion is diminished. Our devotion is decreased. We're no longer as, as in love with Jesus, as loyal to Jesus, as passionate about Jesus. And when we don't have devotion, we don't have gain. We're being ripped off, and who, who rips us off? Remember John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he can't do it without our assistance. It's when we, we are deceived by sin, we turn away and harden our hearts towards God. When you're hardened towards somebody, how do, how do you react to them? Are you really wanting to spend a lot of time with them? Do you want to hear what they have to say? Do you care about what they think? No. And I'll tell you, when we come to that place where our hearts are hardened against God, we don't want to spend time with him. We don't want to hear what he has to say. We, we don't trust him. And when we don't trust the greatest ally, the, the only person that has always had your best in mind, we're in a very bad place. And so right here we see, we see that this devotion is critical. That we, we need to guard, we need to be aware in ourselves and one another and, and keep a check on each other. Not be a busybody, but truly be considerate and concerned about other people and, and their, their relationship with the Lord. Because that's the only way they're going to experience abundant life. And, and so in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 in the Amplified it says this, He also is the head of his body, the church, seeing he is the beginning of the firstborn among the dead, so that he alone in everything, in every respect, might occupy the chief place, stand first and be preeminent. So our devotion, it's, it's, it's all about the preeminence of Christ, that he alone in everything would be first, would be preeminent. The word preeminent means to be of of First in authority and influence. You know, that's how we're supposed to live our life. That, that God, his spirit and his word, has the highest authority. N nothing else would have greater authority in our life or greater influence. And that's not humanly normal. It's something that we have to change because who's had the greatest authority and influence in our lives? I know it's tough to answer because you're not sure you're going to get the right answer. You have. You've had that greatest authority and influence in your life because you're the one that's been making the decisions you've chosen to make. And, and the Bible says we can't serve two masters. That's where we have to choose. Am I going to give the authority and the influence, the place of priority in my life to God, or am I going to continue to keep it, or am I going to give it to somebody else? Because we can give it to somebody else, and oftentimes we do, but when we do we receive a lower life than what God can give us. And it's at our choosing. Because we chose to depend on, turn to, and trust in somebody other 
than the Lord and his spirit and his word. And so it's, it's, it's important that we realize that he's the head of the church. Now, who's the church? We are, not this building. This building is where the church comes. Or in this case, you're the church sitting at home. You're part of the church. But what would happen? I had a young man in the front row this morning that I picked on again and, and asked him, what would happen if, if I didn't have my head? What would happen with my body? Exactly, Eileen. My body would no longer cease to experience life. But can I tell you, it's just as real. When we disconnect ourselves from our head, the Lord Jesus Christ, we cease to experience the life he has. It's dependent on what life I can make. And I'm going to tell you, I, I think I can make some life, but it's never very good. And it's not sustainable. God's life is the best life. It's abundant life. And not only is it abundant in its magnitude, but it's in, in its duration. It's eternal. And that's where, again, we need to see our, our devotion. If it's divided, we limit the abundant life we experience through Christ because we're mixing it with our devotion to other things. And any devotion to any other thing or any other one than God first will rob us of what God has. And the enemy is masterful in helping us to think that we, we could get something better from some other source. Um, Acts chapter 17, this isn't going to be up there, but it says, in him we live and move and have our being. If we're going to experience abundant life, we have to live in him, move in him, have our being in him. Oh, that doesn't sound doable. It is. Is it, is it just autopilot Christian living? No. It starts out intentionally determining we're looking and listening for God and his guidance, his direction through his word and his spirit. And as time goes on, it becomes second nature that we check in because Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. I've not come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And Jesus said, the works I do, you'll do and greater. It starts out the same way Jesus did it, doing it by choosing to make God the priority. His will, his way, uh, a priority over our opinions and our preferences. And honestly, this is not easy. It's not comfortable, but it's best. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. First thing he said, you have to deny yourself. He didn't say pick up your cross, deny yourself. You have to put yourself aside so you can put my will as the priority of your life. And just as he said, pick up your cross and follow me, we have to be willing to do things that are not our choosing but our best. Was it comfortable and convenient and, and uh, wonderful for Jesus to go to the cross? Not for him. Not for him. But was it best for him to go to the cross? See, we don't want to answer that because that indicts us and says there may be some difficult things we need to go through because we're willing to sacrifice things in our life to see gain in other people's lives. But that's truly the kingdom of God. Anybody that wants to have a godly impact on another person or on the world that we live in, there's sacrifice that's going to have to come to our lives. 
we're going to have to deny ourselves. We're going to have to be willing to do some things that aren't easy, aren't comfortable, aren't convenient, but they're necessary for the kingdom of God to be revealed in this earth. And, and I'll tell you, I, I am coming more and more to the realization and understanding I want God's kingdom here more than I want anything else. And I'm willing to lay down my life. Now, am I willing to do that all the time? No. But I'm, I'm, I'm moving my perspective and my intentions towards, I want God's will. I want God's will. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Because anything less than God's will, anything other than God's will, is not going to bring abundant life. Not to me, not to the people around me. And that's where I need that. I want that. And, and I'm getting to the place where I'm really seriously considering, I'm going to pay the price. Just like those those. Places in the desert, they had to pay the price to drill down to the place that brought life. I have to be willing to pay the price to, to deepen my relationship with God so that life is flowing not just to me, but through me, to all those around me, that my devotion would be to God, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, again, not going to be up on the screens, but he said in Luke chapter 6, he said to the group around him, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Now, the word Lord, we say it all the time. Jesus is Lord. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet we don't really understand. Maybe you do. Uh, maybe it was just me, but I was not really aware of what Lord means. I say it all the time. Jesus is my Lord. But the word Lord means supreme authority. If something's supreme in authority, what does that mean? Is there anything else above that in authority? No. Supreme in authority, master, controller. Aren't those things we just want in our life? Somebody be supreme authority in our lives, our master, our controller. You know, I remember as a kid, I remember people saying, you're not the boss of me. And you know what? We don't grow up too far from that because we have this, this resident, independent spirit. We want to run our lives. We don't think anybody can do a better job of running our lives than us, which is absolute deception. Because there's one that knows what your life can be like, knows what my life can be like, and wants the best for my life, and yet my plan and his plan are not always tracking and when my plan and God's plan don't always track, many times I want to take my plan because I think it's best. But guess what? I'm self-deceived. And unless I have somebody else talk to me about this and help me recognize, man, you're, you're in violation. You're, you're going crosswise to what the word of life says, what the God of life says, the God of abundant life says. And so I have to, I have, to have people help me navigate my life and see things I'm not seeing or I may not be willing to see. But anyways, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 in the Amplified uh, says, I've been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It's no longer I who live. So we're not living for ourselves, but we're still alive. And we can still choose that, but we need to recognize we need to deny ourselves. We need to put ourselves aside to have God have his way in our life. But it's no longer I who lives, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in. 
by adherence to, reliance on, and complete trust in. Folks, this is trying to help us navigate life so that we experience abundant life even in a fallen world. The Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Why, why would we trust in, in the Lord? Why would we trust in God? Because of who he is and what he does. There's no one like him. And today we're going to go to Psalm 146. And we're going to read this whole psalm. And I've got to get through this fairly quickly because there's something that I, I've, God has been pressing and pressing on my heart to share with you, to share with us because of the times we're in and what's just about to happen. But in Psalm 146, uh, we're going to look at this in the New Living Translation. It says, praise who? The Lord, the supreme authority, the master the controller. That's who we're supposed to be praising, the one who's supreme authority in our life, who's our master and our controller. Because it's not to diminish our freedom, it's not to diminish our joy, it's to cause it to be totally increased to the amount that God and God alone can bring to your life. Is there any limit to the joy God can bring to your life? Is there any limit to freedom that God can bring to your life. The Bible says, whom the Son is set free is free indeed. See, we, 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 it's tough for us to comprehend with natural minds the truth of this, but it's still true. Whether we understand it or believe it, it's still true. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord, the one who is supreme authority in my life, who is in control of my life, who is the master of my life. Again, we don't, it does not make sense that somebody would control our life and we would praise for that, but because he has the best in store for you, best in mind for you, best provision, we can praise him. Goes on to say, I will praise the Lord as long as I live, I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. So every part of our life, we need to praise the Lord. Goes on to say, don't put your confidence in powerful people. There's no help for you there. When they breathe their last breath, they return to the earth. All right, so, so don't put your confidence in powerful people, and yet we're just about to enter into a, a, a nine days from now, you are going to, and hopefully you're going to, vote. And I, I need everybody's attention right now. You at home, you here. September 2019, CBN Research uh, found out that 15,000 registered Christian voters never voted. Uh, I'm sorry, 15 million. Now, folks, I know that there are some very prominent Christian leaders that are saying you shouldn't vote. But let me, let me just help you understand something. If you don't vote as a Christian, now I'm not telling you who you need to vote for, whether it's President Trump or former Vice President Biden. I'm not going to tell you that because that's not my place to tell you. You have somebody that's smarter than me and who really you're devoted to, and that's the Lord. But, but right now, I want you to understand, if you as a Christian don't vote as God is directing you, then you're leaving it to ungodly people to make a decision for you. That is ridiculous. And so you and I... Unlike all the countries in the world, you and I have a privilege, a freedom that costs people their lives, that we can vote. 
Not only do you have a privilege, we have a responsibility. And if you're not registered to vote, you need to get registered for the next vote, the next election. If you are, then you need to vote. And we'll, we'll get to that later. But right now, we need to understand that, you know, we need to focus on God. Let him be the ones that we put our hope in, not in powerful people. Powerful people come and go. Jesus doesn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says, and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Joyful. And I will tell you, in this time, we need the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in these times, there is a need for greater strength in the body of Christ than ever before. But we've got to, we get that by putting our hope and trust in the Lord. We'll become hopeless. We'll become joyless if we don't put our hope in the Lord. It says he made the heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, and he keeps every promise how long. There's no one you know like that. Every one of his promises he keeps forever. That's why part of our devotion needs to be to him. There's no one like him. He, he made everything, seen and unseen. Now look at this. He gives justice to the oppressed, food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. There are a lot of things going on right now because people have been oppressed. But I will tell you this. No demonstration, no organization, no speech, none of that will do what God can do. And that's why if God isn't at the center and the foundation of what's being done, it's just another exercise in futility. And I don't care how big the group is, how loud the group is, if God isn't at the center, it's all going to pass away. God's the one that sets captives free. He's the one that frees the prisoners and, and feeds the hungry and, and liberates the oppressed. It says the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects foreigners. He cares for the orphans and widows. Now, when it says he cares for the orphans and widows, why does he pick that out? He doesn't care for everybody else? No, because in that time, when you looked at that, those two sectors of people, orphans and widows, they were the most overlooked, underserved, undercared for people of their time. Nobody looked out for them. But God does. And if he looks out for the least, he'll look out for the rest. But we've got to trust him. It goes on to say, he frustrates the plans of the wicked. Whew. That's good. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. I would, I would encourage you to look over this, this psalm this week. Just take time to see what God does and, and why we should be devoted to him before and above anything or anyone else. Now, with that in mind, our devotion should be to God. But like I said, we've got something in nine days that's coming up. It's the election of the President of the United States. And I'm going to give you four things as a Christian you need to do. You need to do. Because of our, our opportunity, our responsibility, but also our devotion to God. You know, there are so many people that are so divided on this, and I'm not here to tell you who to vote for. 
because that's above my pay grade. It is. There's only one Lord in your life, and he should be the one that, that you have devotion to. It should be guiding you and governing you, guiding me and governing me. But we have a responsibility. We have an opportunity. And so the first thing I want to tell you is vote. If, if you are registered to vote, vote. Don't, don't stay away. Don't divorce yourself from what you have the opportunity to do. You have the opportunity to impact. And if you think you won't have an impact, then you're wrong. Obedience to God is better than anything else. And so vote. But please do this. Recognize that as a believer in Jesus Christ, if we say we're devoted to God, everything in our lives should show our devotion to the Lord. Which means when I cast my ballot, I don't do it on my opinion. Or my perspective or my priorities. I should be informed. We should be informed. Do the work to find out about each candidate. About their platforms, about their stances on different uh, situations and, and, and issues. And then, don't say, well, I like this one, I like that one. Then go to the Bible and see what God likes. Now, I know, again, I'm telling you that there are some people that are very high-profile people that say neither one's a good choice. Well, you know why that is? Because they're human beings. They're frail and they're flawed. But somebody's going to be in power. And we need to be people that we go to God and say, all right, Lord, I've done my homework. I see where they are in these different issues and what it says about it in the Bible. I see their character and what it says about character. But, but, Father, I want you to guide me. Now, listen. You may say, well, I, I don't know if I could be guided by God. That's deception. You and I are supposed to be guided by God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, in the Passion Translation says, Trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. Did you get that? Don't rely on your own opinions. We all have opinions. I have opinions about Trump and I have opinions about Biden, but my opinions don't matter. And neither do yours, unless you make them matter more than what God would have you do. It says, with all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. That's his promise to you. But here's the key. It says, rely on, with all your heart, rely on him. You know, sometimes people say, well, yeah, I don't hear from God. Well, are you asking him? First of all, are you asking him for guidance? The Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask, and he'll give it freely and fully. But here's the key. When you ask, are you asking completely relying on God, completely willing to do whatever God says? Because here is what happens. If you are not open to being directed by God in whatever he wants, he is not going to tell you, if you're in opposition, and he knows it, to what you want, what he wants you to do, because the moment he reveals it to you, you're in rebellion. And you might say, well, I, I certainly don't want this person in office. I know it wouldn't be God's will. Really? You're telling me you know everything about what God's will is? I, I'm, I'm not playing around here this morning. I'm I want you not to misunderstand what's going on. I'm not mad, but I am absolutely passionate. I am determined 
that I am going to encourage you that you would, would truly seek God's will. You know, sometimes there were people that were raised up that were ungodly. Throughout the Bible, you can look at it if you choose to read it. And it wouldn't be your choice. In the natural, we might say, well, this couldn't possibly be God. And yet God worked through it. So vote. But vote not based on what you want. Do your homework and present it all to God and say, all right, what do you want me to do? And then be faithful to God. Number two, don't forget that God's bigger than this election. You know, I hear Christians today talking as if, oh my gosh, the world's going to end if this person gets in office. Really? Really? God's plan is so frail that if somebody gets into office, his plan is gone? Absolutely not. That's another deception. That's why we can't afford to be looking at people. We have to look at God. We have to have our faith and trust and hope and confidence in God above this government, these candidates, whoever gets elected. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God's bigger than any election. There's only one eternal ruler. Kings have come and gone. Presidents have come and gone. Dictators have come and gone. But there's one King of kings and one Lord of lords, and his kingdom is eternal. It's eternal. And it's the only perfect kingdom there ever has been or ever will be. Proverbs chapter, or I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 20 verse 7 says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Chariots and horses, what's that all about? We don't have chariots and horses. Chariots were about military power, might, domination. So what's the horses? Don't they go with chariots? You know what? When you were being overrun in a battle, they would unhook the horses from the chariots and ride the horses away because it was much quicker. It's either fight or flight. We're not going to necessarily fight the way the world fights or run away the, world, the way the world runs away. We're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. God's the one that said he would work all things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Unless so-and-so gets in office. Really? Come on, church. We, we are operating in more deception than we realize. Number three. So number one is vote, right? But vote directed and guided by God. Number two is don't forget God's bigger than the selection. Number three, no matter what happens, we need to always, with everyone, who does that leave out? No one. And what, what excuse do we have when, when it happens? We have no excuse. Always with everyone, walk in love. Walk in love. There is no exemption for us walking in love with everyone. We're supposed to love our family, right? Love those that, that think the way we think. Love those that agree with us. No, the Bible says we're supposed to love the Lord God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And then it goes on to say we're supposed to love our enemies. 
When you love someone, do you give them respect? Yeah. You don't disrespect them. And, and so we need to walk in love with everybody. There are people who think differently than you, and that's okay. I don't have the corner on everything that's right. You don't have the corner on everything that's right. You think some stupid things. You at home, I'll include you in this. Because I include all of us in this. We think some stupid things. But you know who has never had a stupid thought? God. Everything that God thinks, everything that God does is perfect, right, and best. And so we need to walk in love. Even if we don't agree, we need to learn how to disagree agreeably. Just because we disagree doesn't mean we devalue anyone. We disagreed with God, and God so loved us, he gave his son. And wouldn't give up on us. If that's how he has shown us the way, we need to walk in that same way. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. In the NIV says this, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. When we were enemies of the cross, he still loved us. When we didn't agree, when we were living in a way that was totally contrary to him, he still loved us. We need to do that for other people. People are not going to be won over because we're so persuasive in our, our uh, conversation. If, if people are doing things that are wrong, the Bible says don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Bless those that persecute you and despitefully use you. Pray for those people. That's what the Bible says. And, and if it's going to happen, we have to be the ones that initiate this. If the world's living like hell, we should be living like heaven. We shouldn't follow them. We should be leading and showing them how, how people choose to love. We must love one another. Must. And finally, no matter how this election or any other election turns out, Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still Lord. There may be somebody new or the same in the White House. But your house isn't built on the White House. You build your house on the rock. And when the storms and the rains and the winds come, your house will stand. But if it's built on the White House, and who's in the White House? It's going to be a rocky road. Rocky road, because there's only one that's going to stand forever. And that's God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. You know, sometimes we lose sight. We're so short-sighted. We're, we're just we got to get this election. You know what? Elections come and go, but God's still in control. I'll say it again. God's still in control. You, the person you may want to be elected may not be elected, but God's still in control. The person you want to be elected gets elected. God's still in control. Don't look at the person you elected. Look at God. He does far more than any human being ever could or would do for people. He goes on to say, 
because he never lost sight of where he was headed, the exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Church, we can put up with anything we encounter because greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. We don't live by this world. We live by the grace of God and for the glory of God in the love of God. The cross, shame, whatever, now he's there in the place of honor alongside God. I don't know what else to say, but I'm telling you as Christians, don't be panicky. Don't be all worked up. Don't be all concerned because you have a certain perspective of what you think ought to happen. Put your faith in God. Because I'm telling you, in nine days, there is going to be a large group that's unhappy. And it could be you. But you don't have to be. This is just an election. It's an election we should vote. But it's not the end of the world. Jesus is still on the throne. The plan of God, the kingdom of God is still intact. And we can rejoice knowing God is going to have his way. Amen? Amen. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, it's important that we don't just talk about this. We live this out. This is real stuff. And, and we should be different. As Christians, we should be different. We shouldn't be up and down the way the world is with what happens. Because just like those spots in the desert, that no matter what their environment was, was surrounding them with, they had life. Because you and I are tapped into, we've drilled down deep into God. We've allowed him to have his way more fully in our lives than ever before. Life is overflowing. That abundant life is not only coming to us, it's coming through us to impact all those around us. We, we're supposed to be a fountain, an oasis in this world. But if we're up and down just like the world is because of the circumstances and situations in our world, they're not going to need our help because they got the same troubles. But what they need is our God. And if you have never turned to Christ, that's the first start. We turn to him and we trust in him. We recognize that he gave his life on the cross to pay the price for our sin. We repent. We turn around from running our own life or letting anything else or anyone else run our life. And we turn intentionally to trust in Christ to guide and govern. And today, if you've never done that, I want to pray with you. And I'd ask you to just pray this prayer. Uh, we're all going to pray this together. So uh, let's pray this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this world and lived a sinless life, went willingly to die on the cross to pay the price for my sin, but was raised again in victory, glorious and victorious. Today, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me and guiding me and governing me. From this day forward, in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen.
If you prayed that prayer, and maybe, maybe you recommitted your life here today to the Lord, uh, let somebody know. Uh, maybe you prayed and gave your life to the Lord. Let somebody know. If you prayed online, please go to our website. Uh, go down to where the prayer requests are. The website is reslifeny.org. Go down to the prayer requests. Let us know that you prayed. Uh, you can give us your name. You can give us your phone number. You don't have to give any of that. You can just say, I prayed. And we'll be praying for you. We want to rejoice and, and be able to continue to encourage people to connect with and to walk with and, and to be devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand? Remember, there's a new members class. If you haven't signed up for it, let one of the ushers know before you leave. Give them your information. Um, if you are signed up, it starts at 6.30, so get here a little bit early. Um, Franklin Graham, take time to pray, but not just today. You know, we're supposed to be the house of the Lord. And he said, my house will be a house of prayer. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. We need to be available to God to be praying. But listen, it's really important we don't pray our will. You know, if you, and, and I, I, I think we speak presumptuously if we say, I know this one's supposed to be in office because that's the will of God. Well, you know what? God said, my ways are higher than yours. So, pray in the Spirit. Pray, God, I, I thank you that you're going to have the person that you want in office to fulfill your purposes and plans, and then trust that that's being done. But pray and vote. Right? All right. Father, I thank you for every one of your children here, all of those that are listening at home. Father, thank you for the Spirit of God that's in them, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that quickens their body, that empowers them to live this victorious life, that floods them with your love, that produces fruit that is bringing glory to your name and drawing people to your kingdom. Father, we thank you that this week is the greatest week we've had the privilege and honor to, opportunity and honor to live with you and for you. And we thank you for the good work that you've begun in us, that you are faithful to complete because you're at work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.